I would ask you if you've a Bible with you this morning, if you'd like to open it um, to the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 22. 2 Samuel, chapter 22. Uh, This is the passage we're going to be looking at later in the service, so it would be really helpful that if if you feel comfortable to to stick a wee scrap of paper if you have one with you in there, or stick your thumb in there and keep your place as we come back to it later on. But let's hear God speak to us through 2 Samuel Chapter 22, and we're going to read the first 25 verses. David sang to the Lord the words of this song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and my horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold, my refuge, my savior. From violent people you save me. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise and have been saved from all my enemies. The waves of death swirled about me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me and the snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I called out to my God from the temple. He heard my voice. My cry came to his ears. The earth trembled and quaked. The foundations of the heavens shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down, and dark clouds were underneath his feet. He mounted the cherub and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his canopy around him, the dark rain clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of his presence, bolts of lightning blazed forth, And the Lord thundered from heaven, the voice of the Most High resounded. He shot his arrows and scattered the enemy. With great bolts of lightning, he routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed and the foundations of the earth laid bare. At the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils, he reached down from on high and he took hold of me. He drew me out of the deep waters and rescued me from my powerful enemies, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me into a spacious place and he rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has rewarded me. For I have kept the way of the Lord. I am not guilty of turning from my God. All his laws are before me. And I have not turned away from his decrees. I have been blameless before him, and I have kept myself from sin. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his sight. This is God's word. Amen. We are going to be looking at 2 Samuel chapter 22. I encourage you today to open a Bible if you have one uh, close to hand or you have one on your, your screen, and you're able to follow this passage together. We're moving rapidly through towards the, the end of the, the series, and we're coming to the final couple of, of chapters today. But as we begin, I want you to think of a very vivid, a very significant memory 
that you have, something that's really stuck in your mind. And when you're at that, I don't want you to think of a, of a pleasant experience. I really want you to think of a miserable experience, uh, a panic, a worry. Uh, one of my most vivid memories was uh, when I was about 20 years old and I was helping out on an SU camp on the west coast of Donegal. And a number of us had gone out on canoes and we were sort of canoeing uh, around the, the coast. And then at one point we thought, well, let's try and catch a wave and surf, <laughs> surf into, the, into, into the shore. Uh, and that's great. And that's great fun. And that is, is really good fun until you capsize. Uh, but even when you capsize, it's not normally such a big day when you're upside down. All you have to do is put your hands either side of your waist or around the edge of the, of the, of the canoe and, and you can push yourself out quite easily. Uh, except in this moment, I couldn't, no matter what I tried to do, I could not get myself out of the, the canoe and I was upside down and covered in water and there's just this huge sense of blinding, panic as your life begins to stretch in front of you. And uh, the only memory I have of that moment is saying to myself, if I die here, my mom is going to kill me. <laughs> Which may not have been the, uh, the, the, the wisest and the obvious thing to think about. Uh, but actually, in those moments, when metaphorically you might feel that, that the waves are coming over your head, and that you're submerged and you really feel that you can't cope. And perhaps even right now, there's something like that going on in your life and in your experience, that, that chaos of life is threatening to undo you. You can't cope with what's going on. Everything seems to be falling apart. It may even seem that the very uh, foundations of your life, uh, it's, it's going to all fall apart. That is perhaps the sort of background that forms the, the bedrock of David's thinking in 2 Samuel chapter 22 as he's looking back over his life, but he is now looking back over his life with a recognition of what God has done and how God has brought him through all of that. So in David's situation, he has faced literally many moments where he thought he was going to die. Uh, we can think of times when he was being chased by the Philistine army. He was being chased by Saul in his jealousy. He was being chased by his son Absalom. We've most recently been thinking about in that rebellion and many more moments. And while I would doubt whether for any of you here today that there are that there is someone who is relentlessly chasing you, I think it's fair to say that we can think that the closest we might get to this sense of dread, of maybe even death, it could be a medical diagnosis, it could be something that, that's hanging over you, even just that, that period of waiting after you've been to the doctor or the doctor has asked to, for you to come and see them again. Uh, but in that sense, we are all literally confronted by death, sooner or later at some point. So you might feel those waves going over your head. You may feel 
right now that you are out of your depth. And whatever the cause of that anxiety, fear, loss, whatever it is, perhaps even right now, you may not be able to put a specific name on the anxiety because there are so many things and perhaps it's just literally like it's the straw that broke the camel's back. It's just the last thing, one upon many, which is really weighing upon you. If I go back to the story with which I began a few moments ago, while my head was under the water, I probably hadn't realized how far out the tide was at that point, so that actually I wasn't in very deep water, in that the, uh, just even because I was just disoriented, but the canoe was already resting on the shore, and all that I needed to do was to sort of turn 90 degrees in, in my waist up, stick my head above the water, and I would be able to breathe. All I needed to do was to be able to feel the ground, the solid ground beneath me. What this passage is in many ways is an invitation to all of us today to do just that, to feel the solid ground that is underneath you. This is God's invitation to you, whatever is going on, to take those moments and simply to rest, feel that solid ground. If we were to read together a, just a, even a couple of these verses which, which give a sense of that strength and security, it's verses two and three, how David begins, where he says, the Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my, my shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold my refuge and my saviour. So in that passage, just, just there, we see David referring to God as his rock. Now, perhaps we have heard language like that. If recently you've been watching some sentimental, gushy rom-com and you've got some guy and a girl and they're looking into each other's eyes and they're saying, you know, you are my rock. This, what David is really trying to get at, is much more emotive than that. It's, there's much more, as it were, passion even in this. In verse 3, you will notice that David calls God not only his rock, but it's his stronghold. And I think that's so emotional for David because what he is probably thinking about at this moment is that picture that is behind me which you might recognize as Masada out in the Judean wilderness. This is his place of security when he was running away from his uh, oppressors and those who were trying to kill him. And this was his desert fortress, literally a rock in the midst of the desert. If you've ever been there, if you've ever climbed Masada, you will know just how impressive it really is as it looks over the Judean wilderness out to the, the wilderness of Moab and beyond. So it's an impressive fortress and it looms large still today in the consciousness of the Israelis. Remember, 
on an occasion when I was there and we were visiting. And we also witnessed on the day the, the final thing that new recruits into the Israeli army have to perform. You'll know that they all have to do uh, service in the army. Every young person has to join the army. But the last activity that they do as part of their passing out parade is that they have to climb Masada in full military gear. So when the day we were there, the army was there, the flags were, were all around, but it's the, the deep echoing chant uh, of emotion that they're saying. And what they're saying is that Masada will not fall. So this, the sense that what this rock is, is it, it is deep, it is symbolic, it is powerful. And also, I think David has a very strong sense of that as well. And one of the moments in 1 Samuel in David's life where he is being chased by Saul, there's a moment where we believe that he is being chased around this very rock by Saul. And literally, they are on opposite sides of the rock. Saul is trying to figure out where David is, but David is always constantly managing just to be one step ahead. And in those moments, David is saying, God, you are literally my rock. You are the one thing that stands between me and death. God, you are my rock. And so the verses we have read, and James read uh, the I guess the first half of this chapter, but verses four, if you look down in your Bibles between verse four and verse 20, you just see vivid, colorful descriptions of God being a deliverer, a helper, saving him out of his turmoil. These are not mild, inconsequential worries or anxieties. These are, are deep, death-defying moments. Again, if you want to read any of these moments, the second half of the book of 1 Samuel will describe many of them. But as David is now writing this in 2 Samuel 22, and what he's trying to get across is simply this. God, you helped me at every point. Now, David could have said that, and we wouldn't have had to have read all of this because that's what he was trying to get across. But he didn't, and he wasn't so succinct. Why did he give so many illustrations? And I think probably the reason is that David doesn't simply want to tell you what God has done for him. He wants you to feel what God has done for him. He doesn't simply want to relate any of these stories. He wants you to see that God is powerful and that God is saving and that God is magnificent. Looked specifically at verse seven. And again, you can get this sense of emotion. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I called out to my God. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came to his ears. And again, if you're getting a sense of the emotion that's behind this, this might resonate with you if there's been a moment in your life when you, in desperation, have cried out to God, you know, save me, hear me, be close to me. This is what David is getting at when he is saying, God, you are my rock. But David wasn't the only Old Testament character to call God his rock. 
Uh, Moses would have done that frequently. And there was a significant point in Moses' life, and the picture behind me is maybe trying to convey a bit of that. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32, and there's six times in that chapter where Moses has this refrain, Uh, the Lord is my rock. And that is probably coming from a significant, singular significant point in Moses' own life. And that relates back to Exodus chapter 17. And you remember as Moses was leading the, the people of Israel out of Egypt and supposedly then into the promised land, but that didn't work because of their grumbling and their complaining and their grousing. And, and in the desert, that they're saying again, we have no water, we haven't got what we need. And they're basically saying, God, you have failed us. And in Exodus 17, verse five, the Lord answers Moses. He says, go out in front of the people and take some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile. That staff in itself is symbolic. It's representing in many ways the the judgment of God in that sense upon the the Egyptians as as the, the Israelites were leaving. But also now God goes on to say, I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out for the people to drink. So the people are are grumbling, they are complaining. They're saying, God, you have failed us. And they've they've put themselves on one side against God. So God, in many ways, is putting together almost like a courtroom scene. It's, it's It's the people versus God. And Moses is the judge, and he is to strike the rock. We know that the people are the guilty ones, and the representatives, the elders who are there are representatives of all of that, and that God is innocent, and, and God does not deserve any of this. But God is to bring his judgment down in the staff of, of Moses. But it's not to strike the people, it's to strike the rock. And God's saving grace, God's provision, flows out of that because the judgment in many ways looks forward to what God has done. So much so when Paul writes about this story in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, they all drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them and that rock was Christ. So the image, when, even when Moses is talking about God being my rock, that image is to point you to Jesus. That image is to point you to the cross. That image is to point you to the provision of God and what God has done for you. And indeed, it's that understanding which makes sense of something else David writes here in 2 Samuel 22. Because if you, again, look in your Bible, but look to verse 22 and into verse 24. Here David is writing about himself. And he says, I have kept the ways of the Lord. I am not guilty of turning from my God. All his laws are before me. I have not turned away from his decrees. I have been blameless before him and kept myself from sin. And surely if you have been following through in this story, you will say, what? David, can you possibly say you have kept yourself from sin? 
and you have been blameless and God has dealt with you as if you were blameless. This is the guy who committed adultery with Bathsheba. This is the guy who caused Bathsheba's husband to be killed. But I think the key to interpreting all of that is in verse 21, which begins, the Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness. And David is not thinking about his own righteousness because he is not perfect, but he is thinking of the righteousness that, some, that somebody else would give to him. It's not his good deeds. It's not what he could do. David is only clean because of what Jesus Christ ultimately has done for him and cleansed him from his sin. It's God who can make him whiter than snow. So this passage, as we have been glancing over it today, and I go back to what I said at the beginning, this really is God's invitation to you to put your feet down underneath you, even in the midst of the turmoil and the anxieties and whatever the emotional state of chaos is, and to feel that solid ground beneath you. It's to appreciate the difference that Jesus Christ makes in your life. Feel that solid ground. You know, those waves may be crashing over your head, and they may be all around you. Some of those situations can be very extreme, and they're, they're not abstract. They're not abstract in the sense that they're just issues that we can talk about in a very remote way, because we face these things day and daily. It may be uncertainty in the workplace. It may be uh, emotional distress. It could be something that is happening in your marriage. It could be something as you're anxious about your kids. It could be getting a call from a doctor. It's perhaps not being able to get over something from the past because you, you carry that burden and you carry that guilt and you, you can't get it out of your head and on and on that list goes. And is there a way out of that emotional distress? Is there a way to reduce those anxieties so that we don't need to walk around like a zombie, fixated on our problems and what those experiences are? Today, I'm not wanting to give you a, a, a Bible text that you can run to, and it's just like reading this Bible text enables you to leap into your happy place. We simply, like David here, remind ourselves that God is underneath us and to put our feet down and to feel that God is with us. And even though the devil may whisper that you are not good enough and in your darkest moments you believe that you may be alone, there are certain things that you need to remember. You need to remember that you are not alone. You need to remember that you are not a bad person because this has happened to you. And most importantly, you need to remember that when God is looking at you because of what Jesus Christ has done for you and that Jesus has died to forgive your sins and to give you his righteousness, that when God looks at you, what he sees is Jesus himself. So even though that storm may be intense, Jesus is stronger. And that's why when we read again in some of these verses, 
we see the, the difference of just feeling that solid ground will make. Look at verse 20, where David is saying here, he brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Or down to verse 34. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He causes me to stand on the heights. That's the difference of just feeling the difference that Christ makes in our lives. And this is God's invitation to just lean upon that. Perhaps we'll just pause as we pray at this point. Our Lord, in spite of those moments of chaos and uncertainty, which may be uppermost in some of our minds, perhaps more than, than others, but Lord, you have a word that lifts us up and encourages us. As you encourage us to lean our weight upon you. That truly, O oh God, as we wait upon the Lord and we push over the, the weight of our burdens of life and we ask, Lord, that you would carry these things and ultimately that you would carry us through these moments. And for those among us who are feeling these moments more immediate than others, Lord, to pray for a double sense of your grace and your presence, that your Holy Spirit would surround and lift us up. May we find those everlasting arms, those arms that enfold us, hold us, and will not let us go. So, Lord, we fall into those arms. May we see and find Jesus. And we pray in our Savior's name. Amen.